0: Hello, everyone. Welcome back to our podcast. Very glad that you've decided to spend some time with us as we continue our study of Hebrews. My name's Cameron, and I'm Lachlan. And uh, for people who are tracking along with this podcast, Ken and Luke are not with us uh, for this week, and we will miss them. But uh, they will have to listen in to find out uh, what we've what we've said, and can no doubt correct us on on many points uh, during the recording for future episodes. Uh, now, Locke, before I start, um, you won't notice this because your video feed just looks at me, but a momentous thing has happened in my house. And that is, uh, with the aid of my wife, who is phenomenally efficient at tidying things in a way which I am not, uh, some significant amount of time was spent. The result of which is I can actually see my desk.
1: Wow. That is, that's always a pretty remarkable occasion whenever it occurs
0: it was an archaeological dig with many strata and layers and you know (laughs) right at the bottom there was there's something that was at least a year and a half old so uh, that's a very significant thing so I with the clarity on my desk I just hope that it it, uh, corresponds with a great clarity of mind in this discussion (laughs) look we're into Hebrews 4 this week and I don't like the chapter divide that's happened here because Hebrews 4 begins with the word therefore. Mm. So I know we've spoken about Hebrews 3. Um, Ken and I, I think, did that recording. You you weren't with us. And uh, so uh, we need to try and work out what the brief dot point summary, what the essential argument it is in Hebrews 3. Um, We've discovered that Christ is supreme, higher than the angels, became for a little while lower than the angels in chapter 2, so that through suffering, he could achieve glory, so that he could take many people with him, and in chapter three, Christ is compared against Moses. mm, so it's sort of ticking off the great the greats of the the Jewish religious tradition, and um, we're up to Moses, and Christ is as much better than Moses uh, than someone is who designs a house to the house, yeah. That's the analogy that's used. And then it points out the fact that the Israelites didn't enter the promised land. God had promised some rest for them. And they were disobedient, which is stressed in some uh, uh, at, at some length. And then in verse 19, and this is what Ken and I talked a lot about, uh, after describing their disobedience, it says, so we see that they were not able to enter because of their unbelief, and mm. uh, which is a state of mind. And of course, your state of mind is the place where your actions you know, come from. So we had a fun discussion there. Any of our listeners who have not heard the previous episode can can cut back to the, to listen to that wherever you, you get your podcast from. Uh, so the premise is that there's some people who were trying to get to the promised land, a place of rest, um, and they weren't allowed to uh, or they weren't able to because of a, their unbelief. Hmm. And so then chapter four starts, therefore. Locke, do you want to start reading and say the first uh, five verses?
1: I will. I'll just, before I do start, you've mentioned it starts with the word therefore. In one of the translations I'm looking at, it also starts with the word therefore. But I'm going to read it from the New Living Translation, which doesn't use the word therefore, but you can, it uses the word still. So there's a very, very obviously still yeah. this connection across the chapter divine. God's promise of entering his rest still stands. So we ought to tremble with fear that some of you might fail to experience it. For this good news that God has prepared his rest has been announced to us just as it was to them. But it did them no good because they didn't share the faith of those who listened to God. For only we who believe can enter his rest. As for the others, God said, In my anger I took an oath they will never enter my place of rest. Even though we know this rest has already been has been ready since he made the world. <laughs>
0: right. Yeah. Now now look, my that's a quotation in there from Psalms is what my Bible is telling me. From Psalms oh, okay. ninety five. So um I don't know Psalms ninety five
1: uh, Psalms yeah. ninety five verse eleven. I've got a footnote yeah. suggesting
0: Now it's interesting that they quote the Psalms. Uh, Psalm ninety five must be a retelling of this story. And it's interesting, isn't it, because that it happens and it seems to be recorded much closer to the event in Leviticus and Exodus. And then Deuteronomy is a retelling. Mm. And then it comes again in the Psalms. It, it, that's something we didn't really pull out when we were discussing Deuteronomy. Uh, but here here the book of Hebrews is continuing that tradition. It's another retelling. What jumped at mm. me was um, in the opening sentence it said that we have to be careful. Uh, seeing, as, seeing as in the past there have been people who have, you know, intermittently perhaps but if you had asked them they would have said they were trying to follow God yeah and they fell yep. short and what the first verse is saying is well that ought to give you cause for pause to pause and to think carefully if it is possible for people and we we have a faulty tradition I think look the Jewish writings are unique in the ancient world because they dwell so heavily on the failings of the Jewish nation as opposed to as opposed to loudly proclaiming the successes, mm. and, and that to me is one of the hallmarks of, uh, of inspiration. And when, when Stephen says to uh, the Pharisees when he's about to be stoned, and he gives them a big sermon about the history of the Jewish nation, and the Pharisees believe all of it, that's fine, but then Stephen says, oh, and throughout this long history where the people have rebelled, you are the rebellious people. You're Hmm. the people who have been stoning the prophets and the Pharisees didn't like that. That's, that's the bit that makes them really angry with him. They agree on the story, but they, they've always seen the story with themselves as the descendants of the goodies. Hmm. And Stephen says to them, no, you're, you have the categories of the, uh, of the baddies, the characteristics of the baddies. And that really winds them up. And, uh, Christ in his parable where he talks about the tax collector and the Pharisee praying really buys into this sentiment where the Pharisees are oh, I'm glad I'm not like the tax collector mm. um, and he Christ really drives the point home that you you can't have that attitude the point I say the reason why I say this is as Christians we do say ah oh, glad we're not like the Jews who rejected yeah. God <laughs> as as Protestant Christians, we say, "Oh, I'm glad I'm not like these popish, yeah, you
1: know, the popish persons," as is as po- is alluded to in the in the preamble to the King James version yeah, of the yeah, Bible. Yeah.
0: But of course, we're not just um, Protestants; we're Seventh Day Adventists. So mm. we say, "Oh, I'm glad I'm not like pretty much everyone else." Yeah. Uh, so the story that we have, and if if you said if you said to people in a church if you said well what's the story that we have that just shows that against all odds and against our own sinful desires god managed to just step in and we we really didn't have much part in this in fact we were working actively against it because that's we that's just how we find ourselves to work but but god has done a crazy miraculous thing a gracious powerful intervention Mm. we don't have a story like that
1: well as you've been saying that i've been it's making me think you know so in in the Jewish tradition and coming into the New Testament early Christian writings, it is not unanimous in its um, n- negative accounts. So, so there are heroes of faith, and later on in Hebrews, we're going to meet a whole chapter that famously refers to to heroes of faith. What I hear you saying though is that there is a balance, there is an acknowledgement of of uh, in the past, mm. yeah, um, our tradition as has had its issues. And it suggests to me perhaps that, you know, for Adventist Christians, for, for any kind of contemporary um, Christian or indeed religious person, there's probably is some balance to sort of be able to say, this was good, this was not so good. That's wholesome. And if you can't yeah. get to that second part, then it suggests you may not be facing reality square on.
0: Yeah, 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 yeah. And we we uh, miss out on think um, well your because...
1: account of the um steven talking to people yeah. who thought that they were they were they identified as the goodies in the story reminds me of just how easy it is to have an impasse Let, let's put it in the modern adventist context yeah you have two modern adventists one of them says i am the true adventist because i believe exactly what our adventist founders believed I have preserved that state of belief, which was right and holy and inspired and led by God. The other person says, well, I'm the true Adventist because I have applied the same line of reasoning that the early Adventist pioneers applied when they gave up Sunday keeping and changed their behavior to worship on Sabbath, Mm. gave up meat eating and changed their behavior. To become vegetarians, mm. uh, whatever it might be, and and that that second Adventist says, well, you know, I look back on the Adventist history and I see certain things that need to be moved on from, even within my yeah. own faith community. Both are identifying as being, in some sense, spiritual descendants of those early Adventist pioneers, yeah. and yet the conclusions are diametrically opposed.
0: Yeah, yeah, I think I think it would just be nice if if. So, for instance, Adventists look back on the Middle Ages or the, you know, early um, Reformation, and we say, "Well, who are we in that story? Are the Waldensians? Yeah, that's, <laughs> that's who we are." But we're certainly not the people who, you know, ran Inquisitions. Uh, we're, <laughs> yeah. we're, we're certainly not the people who were at times corrupt and used their church authority for personal gain. We're, so, we're certainly not like those people, and. What Hebrews is saying here is, in this first verse, is hang on. Just hang on. There was a whole nation of people. and On this occasion, it was a whole nation of people missed out. Mm. So, so don't be so quick to assume that it can't happen to you.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I'd like to pick up on one other thing, Cam, that jumped out at me because of the verse 1 here, chapter 4, verse 1. You've just been talking about it, but I want to pick up a verb here. So we ought to tremble with fear that some of you might fail to experience it, meaning this rest that God has promised. So it's kind of saying, in the past, God's issued a promise of rest, and yet there were people who missed out on it, even though it was right there in front of them. And so we should be afraid of that. And the reason I wanted to jump on that is because only two weeks ago, I was startled when we were reading in Hebrews 2. um, Hebrews 2 verse 15 reading that Jesus, who himself partook of the same, became like a man and died. Verse 15, that he might free those who through fear of death were subject to slavery all their lives. In chapter 2, there was a fear of death. It's, not, it's actually written really remarkably there. It's been lingering in my mind for a fortnight. It's not written that Jesus came to free us from death. It's written that Jesus came to free us from the fear of death. And that's what jumped out at me. That's a little different mm. to how I've recalled it in the past. And yet here we are in chapter four, and it's and it's invoking fear. Yeah,
0: yeah. Um, we ought I would to be. Lo- it is good for yeah, us to be worried.
1: Yeah, I I would love to. It's it's inspired me. I want to go and have a look and see how many other uses of fear occur in Hebrews. Is it a theme or is it just a coincidence?
0: Yeah, it's very good luck. Um, there is there is some interesting elements to it. Uh, <clears throat> trying to think of an analogy okay it's going to be a flying analogy i'm i'm sorry but uh, a pilot who is genuinely terrified of engine failure uh to the point where it's interfering with their you know if they if you are for instance too busy scanning the instruments instead of just watching where you're going you'll get reprimanded by a flight instructor Hmm. and he'll say something like oh look okay so if the engine fails it fails but if you hit someone in a collision in the circuit that's not (laughs) going to help you is it So stop looking at the instruments and look out the front and just deal with an engine failure when it happens. At the same time, though, pilots are are taught to be afraid of, to be mindful, maybe not to be afraid of. Mm. Uh, Don't suppose that engine failures will always happen to someone else. Mm. Don't suppose that just because you're in a hurry, things will go right. Don't suppose that because, you know, for instance, the latest story I heard um, was, it's an old story, it happened several years ago. But in Tassie, there was a, a, a crop dusting incident where a, a guy flew into a, a power line and killed himself. And he was an ag pilot. The reason he killed himself is he had flown that paddock three days earlier, and three days earlier there hadn't been a power line. No, oh. they don't. They only just installed it. Wow. And so pilots, pilots tell these stories, and the moral is always: so be careful. Yeah, like this could happen to you. Be mindful. Don't don't do it until you've done a. Don't do any ag work until you've flown the area and just looked for any changes. Yeah. You know. So, um, those two sides seem analogous to to what's happening here in the book of Hebrews.
1: Hmm. Yeah, that's interesting. Uh, well, we I'll, only got three verses in Cam.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I know. Uh, I think you did read up to the end of five, didn't you?
1: No, I only read to the end of verse ah, three.
0: Right. Uh, I'll pick up then. For somewhere is spoken about the seventh day in these words. On the seventh day God rested from all his works. And again in the passage above he says, They shall never enter my rest. Therefore, since it still remains for some to enter that rest, and since those who formerly had the good news proclaimed to them didn't go in because of their disobedience, God again set a certain day calling it today. This he did when a long time later he spoke through David, as in the passage already quoted. Today if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. For if Joshua had given them rest... God would not have spoken about a, another later day. There remains, then, a Sabbath rest for God's people. For anyone who enters God's rest also rests from their works, just as God did from his. Therefore, let us make every effort to enter that rest so that no one will perish by following their example of disobedience.
1: Mm. That's an interesting interesting argument being made here, especially interesting for people that... Um you know, find value in Seventh-day Sabbath. Um, yeah. So it's it's tying a lot of different ideas together. I actually kind of like the the line that it's made. It's tying together the story of the promised land crossing the Jordan. It's tying together the story of God resting from creation. It's tying together this this idea in the psalm, they will never enter my place of rest, presumably talking about the generation um, wandering in the wilderness. Um and then it's talking about this, this uh, a future rest. Verse 7. So God set another time for entering his rest. And that time is today. God announced this through David much later in the words already quoted. Today, when you hear his voice, don't harden your hearts. <laughs> I like the line of reasoning. I'm still troubled. If David wrote it much later than the event happened, but much earlier than the book of Hebrews was written, how are we so sure that today... Maybe that's the point. Maybe any day is a, is the day. And the Maybe author here is just saying, saying yeah. make today your uh, uh, grasping of this rest. Mm. Um, yeah. And then I like the bit, you know, if Joshua had succeeded in giving them this rest, then God would not have spoken about another day of rest still to come. I like that. It's sort of saying, well, whatever happened, when the Israelites did enter the promised land under the leadership of Joshua, they felt at the time that they were entering into the promised rest, the promised land, kind of like everything was fine. But mm. the author of Hebrews here is saying, well, clearly, although that must have had some meaning, it wasn't the full rest that God had in mind. Otherwise, he wouldn't mm. have spoken of something to come. There's, there's a lot of cool layering here.
0: Yeah. We very much maintain that the cross is sort of the definitive... Salvation Act—that it's the last big thing that needed to be done before the second coming—but it does make you think. I wonder: has God got something else in store?
1: Yeah, I've well, that. The, that actually—that conversation came up in a Sabbath school discussion just on just last weekend that I was uh, part of through Zoom, and um, you know, is the 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 idea was kind of that someone was quoted, an author of a book was quoted as having said, you know, what if Christianity today is still just the early church? Mm. Meaning, what if there is a lot of Christian history yet to unfold? Um, Yeah. And that everything that's happened up to now is really just the the opening parts of the early church. It was an interesting calibration shift, a paradigm shift, to just think a little bit about what that would be like. Mm. Um, And, yeah, I think there is something groundbreakingly unique, referred to throughout the whole Bible uh, in the New Testament, identified in the in the ministry and death and resurrection of Jesus. So mm. it seems to me that that sort of event doesn't need to happen again. Mm. Um, but, yeah.
0: Yeah, interesting. Look, do you want to um, read us through to the end of the chapter?
1: Yeah, I think there's only couple of verses left, picking up in verse 12. For the word of God is alive and powerful. It is sharper than the sharpest two-edged sword, cutting between soul and spirit, between joint and marrow. It exposes our innermost thoughts and desires. Nothing in all creation is hidden from God. Everything is naked and exposed before his eyes, and he is the one to whom we are accountable. So then, since we have a great high priest who has entered heaven Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to what we believe. This high priest of ours understands our weakness, for he faced all of the same testings we do, yet he did not sin. So let us come boldly to the throne of our gracious God. There we will receive his mercy, and we will find grace to help us when we need it most.
0: Yeah, and the implication in this passage is that we do need it, because, Hmm. you know, we're like the people in the wilderness. Hmm. Um. It's it's also an interesting transition into the theme of priesthood, which we've not had. So it's sort of started with Moses, and then there's mm. a very extended sort of segue. Uh, Moses wasn't a priest, so we're, this is the next sort of pillar of Judaism that's that's going to be discussed. Yeah, um, and those last uh, three
1: verses. So you go.
0: Yeah, and 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 uh, Jesus has been shown to be better than. Angels in chapter one, and mm. better than Moses in chapter three, and in chapter two, what was it? Uh, I can't remember. Um, well, and it was uh, but, it was
1: better. It, it was chapter chapter two was all about this idea of understanding our weakness, uh, faced the same testings, and conquered yeah. death. And yeah, yeah, and yeah, yeah, Removed yeah, yeah. our fear of death.
0: Yeah, yeah, that's right. And then chapter three was saying Christ is better than Moses, and here here we're mm. finding that Christ is the real promised land. Hmm. And, mm. and even perhaps the real Sabbath. The Sabbath is here only really used as saying, well, you know, what, what I'm trying to describe is that the Sabbath is a bit like this thing, except mm. this thing is the real one. Yeah. And um, then now we're getting on to the, the priesthood.
1: So I found those last couple of verses from 14 to 16, they felt really like a, a recap if you wow. ask me, that's that's what you just what you just summarised of the chapters, the earlier chapters, is exactly the themes that are kind of pulled together in those last three verses. So it felt to, I'll be interested to pick it up next episode when we move into the next chapter and whether we see whether we feel like it was an awkward chapter break or a natural chapter break because this feels yeah. like it might be. This is a bit of a wrap. Okay. Recapping what I've done so far is I've built this and this and this kind of kind of narrative. Um, Mm. I'm wanting to make sure that you're following me here, and then we're ready to move on. and And in doing so, as you say, has introduced that that high priest priesthood sort of.
0: It's argued very well, and um, Hmm. I think I heard it once in an E14 sub school. Might have been Norm Young, Uh, but it's a line that I've used every time I've had to teach students essay writing. I was. uh, the instruction is to uh, tell people what you're about to tell them, and then tell them, and then tell them what you've just told them, mm. and that's <laughs> that's the essential structure to an argument. Uh, but it is it's sort of building up a case uh, fairly strongly. Yeah,
1: yeah.
0: Uh, like, I, yeah. No, it's a
1: shame Ken's not here because back in verse seven there was this again quoting this psalm about hardening your hearts. Um, yeah, yeah. <laughs>
0: Yeah, and it's, here it's, we are hardening hearts. Do not harden mm. your hearts. Mm. I, um, it'd be interesting to see how many places that phrase turns up because it's in Deuteronomy a lot. Mm. Um, it's in Exodus. Um, in fact, that's a really interesting tie, isn't it? Because when you say in Deuteronomy that you're hard-hearted and stiff-necked, that's saying you're like Pharaoh.
1: Yes, yes, that is interesting. Um, mm. Yeah, yeah,
0: yeah. Uh, I mean
1: that makes this part this this passage in Hebrews sound like, um, so God said another time for entering His rest, and that time is today, and then quoting today when you hear His voice, don't be like Pharaoh. Yeah.
0: yeah. So I mean, there's a few challenges in there. Um, I would be it'd be really interesting to see if you if you said, well, we're going to put on a, a spirit of humility, and we're going to tell the stories we love to tell, but we're going to look for the places where we might have placed emphasis too strongly on where we've done well or where our ancestors have done well or which of our ancestors we choose to tell the stories of, and which ones we, we quietly ignore. And this was mm. brought to my attention once when I raised this point in the Sabbath School at um, Launceston. I said, you know, we, t- we, tend to d- we tend to dwell so often on our triumphs and particularly as Protestants because, you know, mm. we have the Reformation where we were right and it was a great success for people standing up for the truth and speaking truth to power and we're their descendants and we we can own that story one of the people who was there said yes he said except the reformation wasn't a success it was a failure the church had remained united to some degree for one and a half thousand years and it began to fall apart and it's gotten worse since Ah. and that we we do wrong to talk about that as something that is only i mean obviously it's not only bad event but nor is it only good yeah and um i think there's a challenge in this chapter of hebrews is is to is to recognize you know that we are like the tax collector uh, we are like mm. the crusaders and um i also think like that on a different note this is people get very upset about being asked to apologize for things that were not there uh, they're wrong so you know mm. 200 years ago my descendants were nasty to a certain race or culture, why should I have to apologize for them? And part of that attitude, uh, part of that is legitimate um, because, uh, you know, an apology from someone who didn't actually do it could sound quite hollow. Mm. Like it it may not necessarily be well received in all circumstances, but part of it stems from an attitude, oh, yeah, they were my descendants, but I'm not like them.
1: Mm. Mm.
0: And, uh, you know, any person who has who has mistreated, even accidentally mistreated someone because they haven't taken the time to find out what that person is like, how their culture works. What they... Any person who's who's not taken the time to get to know the new intern at work and has inadvertently made them feel awful mm. has, in a small way, recommitted the crimes of the early colonialists.
1: Yeah, yeah. yeah.
0: So, I mean, we, we are like them. So there's the challenge How had to pull out of... Hebrews Hall. We might leave it there, Locke. We've um, got a better chance, I've noticed, of, of sticking to shorter episodes with less people involved. Yeah. So, in, in the interests of um, of preserving just a bit of sanity as the holiday season's coming to a, a close, we might wrap it up there. But any of our listeners who, who have extra thoughts can email them to us. Sabbathschoolfromhome at gmail.com is our address. And uh, we love hearing any comments that are sent in. And as always, please share this podcast with anyone you feel might benefit from it and join us again next week.